The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You're listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 80. So today I'm going to do my best to lead us in a discussion about what I would consider to be the most dangerous, most harmful energy in our human society today. And honestly, it's been the most dangerous and most harmful energy for generations and generations. That energy to me is collectivism. Maybe you don't know what collectivism is, maybe you've never really stopped to think about it, but for me, when I think about how to fix the world, when I think about how to fix the lack of unity and oneness amongst the human race, I come back to, again and again, the problem of collectivism. So obviously, in this episode, I'm going to do my best to tell you what's wrong with it. I will go over with some of the things that are right with it, but uh, hopefully this will help you start to understand a little bit more about this energy. So I'm curious if you have ever really taken the time to think about collectivism, what it is, the role it plays in our world. And, you know, to be honest, as someone who has spent most of my life, I've been obsessed with playing my part to change the world to make the world a better place, to make the world a more loving place, a more safe place, a more prosperous place. You get the idea that I genuinely believe that I have a part to play and that, uh, you know, that humanity is, was intended to live heaven on earth. So there's a lot of beliefs underneath this journey for me that, that maybe you don't carry. And, and I don't know whether you agree that we can live heaven on earth or you believe that we are supposed to die and go somewhere better. There is some philosophical things underneath this that drive my desire to have this discussion. But at the same time, whether or not you want to go somewhere else or stay here, I don't think any of us would disagree that the better we can make our experience here on this planet, the better off we'll all be. So to me, when I think about how to fix society, how to fix the human condition that we have created for ourselves. One of the big things that I come back to over and over and over again is this collectivism issue. So what is collectivism? Collectivism, as I define it, and you can look it up and, and it may be a little bit definition, but different definition, but the energy of it is the truth of it. So I define collectivism as the identification of an individual as if they are one or more of their collective markers. So as I said in the intro, I am a white Christian male. And so you can easily put me in the collective of white people. That's a race collective. Or you can put me in the collective of male. That's a gender collective. Or you can put me in the collective of Christian or New Age Christian. That is a religious collective. And if you will notice, (laughs) racism or sexism or bigotries of all sorts, and we'll get into we'll get into that a little bit later in the episode, but they all stem from a basic energy of collectivism, and I don't think a lot of us think about that. Have you ever considered that? You ever considered that all of the isms, all of the bigotries that our 
human population struggles with actually come from a base level energy that they have in common. And that what is what I would call collectivism. Now, we're also going to get into, you know, collectivism isn't 100% all bad. There are some benefits from it, and I will do my best to give those a fair shake. But that is how I mean collectivism, the the ability to group people into categories. And the key point being that you're not actually seeing the individual. You're seeing their category, right? I don't see Austin. I see a male. I don't see Austin. I see a Christian. I don't see Austin. I see a white guy, right? And fill in the blank. People with beards, people without beards, any collective group that you want to create, you can, right? And we know some of the more popular ones with the race, the gender, religious orientation, sexual orientation, nationality is one that a lot of us forget about, such as American, right? That's We're, we're an American collective and there's nationalism, which I dare say is one of the most dangerous energies of collectivism. Every war in history has had a major, major energy of collectivism inside of it. And so I'm doing my best to to not just completely bash the energy of collectivism right at the gate, obviously. Full disclosure, not like I'm hiding it very well. I do not think that collectivism is a good energy that humanity should keep. I do acknowledge, however, that there are some benefits to it, secondary gains, if you will, to it that uh, a lot of people need and a lot of people want. But for me, collectivism is the group identification at the expense of the individual identification. I don't have to see you as a person. I can see you as a collective label, right? So, you know, what are some of the benefits? One of the major benefits of collectivism, and I'll actually... So somebody, I can't remember who, on Facebook, I have a lot of people that are starting to follow me or friend me on Facebook through this program. And uh, I was on, I think, one of their pages and they said something that then somebody else, oh, I responded. I said, collectivism is the cancer that ails our modern society. And somebody spoke up and said, I disagree. Collectivism can be very beautiful. It can give people a sense of belonging and they can give people a sense of community. And I said, well, while I do admit that, uh, the question is at what cost? So staying with this person's argument and absolutely admitting that one of the things that collectivism does provide people that is also missing in our world is a sense of community. It's a sense of belonging. So when I think about what if someone's sexual oriented, if they if they grew up with homosexual desires and they are uh, a homosexual, but they were surrounded by people who were homophobic or against that lifestyle, you can imagine that that person identifying with a homosexual community and being put into that collective grouping could give a sense of belonging, could give a sense of acceptance, could give a sense of 
these people can identify with me. They understand what I'm going through. They, I can talk about my childhood and process these things that I dealt with. And I can talk to other people who go, oh, yeah, I had that same experience. I know exactly what you're talking about. Here's how I got through it. Here's how I got over. That kind of mental health and mental health uh, community and the stability of collectivism should not be overlooked. And in our world, it is kind of a double-edged sword. It is a beautiful thing that has a dark side to it, which obviously is what I'm leaning more towards in this episode. But one of the major benefits of collectivism is absolutely a sense of belonging and a sense of community. And the other one, and this is the one that uh, it took me a while, you know, people especially, well, you know, the idea of like, don't give me a label, you know, well... There are certain labels, collective labels, that aren't about physical attributes of individuals, but they're about philosophical attributes, such as, are you a Baptist or are you a Pentecostal? Are you Republican or are you a Democrat? Right? There are philosophical, ideological collectives that we belong to that... I think by and large, it's it's even more division. So by and large, it's not a very high positive. But there is one positive inside of that. And that is if you're going to have a conversation with somebody, for instance, my younger brother, he is a Calvinist, right? And so the more I understand about that collective label, the more quickly I can advance in my conversations with him about deep discussions, right? So if someone says, oh, I'm, a, I'm a Republican, there is a benefit to the fact that you can assume certain things about their political views. Someone says, I'm a Democrat, or someone says, I'm a progressive, someone says, I'm a liberal, someone says, I'm a libertarian. Like these collective identities can certainly help fast forward the process of discussion and problem solving and everything like that. I would argue that they usually just stall the process completely because now I know, I think I know everything about you because you told me you're a libertarian. And so now I don't need to have a discussion with you. I can just judge you for that label. So it again, I don't think that these collective labels have a whole lot of good to them, but they can certainly be helpful to fast forward intelligent discussion for those who can handle it. To say, okay, so you're, you know, my younger brother, you're, you're a Calvinist, and therefore I can assume certain things about you. Although, for me, little Austin's opinion here, if you're going to do that, do your best to not assume everything about that label, especially the negative stuff, right? Ask questions, clarify. So you say you're a Calvinist, does that mean you believe in TULIP, which is the acronym for the five major cornerstone beliefs of Calvinism. And my brother, for instance, he says, you know, I'm, I'm mostly a five point Calvinist. I'm four and a half point Calvinist. And so that allowed me to, okay, well, what's the half point you disagree with? Perfect. I know the other points. He admits the other points and awesome. You meet a Republican say, well, did, do you agree with Trump? Do you agree with, you know, are you more libertarian Republican? Or are you more liberal Republican? What, you know, what kind of, and so you can, ask clarifying questions without having to have an entire philosophical discussion. So again, labels can provide you with a sense of family and of community, and they can provide you with some quick access 
to large chunks of ideas. I would be curious if anyone listening to this podcast has thought of another positive about collectivism. I know there's kind of subset ideas, but they, in my mind, they kind of, these are two main categories. It's either a sense of community or a sense of understanding via collective. But if there is another positive, by all means, I'm all ears. I'm not here to bash collectivism without good cause. I am here to do my best to convince the world to let go of this energy for a better one. And that is so much of what we're going through these days. We're going through these transitions where you have to let go of something good if you want something better. That's a lost art of the law of growth that we get to these places in our lives where we have, oh, it's a good life. I have this and I have that. I have these people in my life. I have this kind of income. I have this kind of community and it's good. I like it. But we all instinctively know that there's better. Better is possible. Better is available. Some of you have great jobs, but you know that there's better jobs out there. Some of you have uh, great relationships, but you know they could be better or you could have different relationships that are better. There's so many realities behind being willing to let go of something good to find something better. These quality elements of collectivism, while they have some benefits, I believe there is a better energy available to humanity if we're willing to go get it, if we're willing to work for a better idea of how to view ourselves. So as we get back into it, I put in my notes here a particular kind of summary. Not all collectivism is bigotry, right? But all bigotry is collectivism. Kind of like all not, not all fingers are thumbs, but all thumbs are fingers, right? So there's plenty of forms of collectivism that don't equal bigotry. They can be peaceful identifications in the more mild sense. Maybe you're a fan of a particular football team, right? Or a sports team that, oh, this is my collective group. These are the people that I hang out with. And great. That's awesome. It can be a, a wonderful mild form of collectivism that doesn't mean that you hate every other team. Although there are one of my favorite books by Don Miguel Ruiz, I think is actually his son, uh, Junior, is The Five Levels of Attachment. And in there, they use the sports team analogy of people who take their sports fanaticism a little too far, literally to the point of murdering. There's a guy in London who ran over, he was a bus driver and ran over a bunch of people who are wearing jerseys of the other team. So that's a problem. That's certainly not collectivism and it's in a healthy way, but there can be healthy versions of collectivism. So not all collectivism is bigotry, but you cannot name a single form of bigotry that isn't collectivism. So racism, sexism, bigotry towards religions, bigotry towards other nationalities, bigotry towards personalities or personality traits or people who, you know, people with disabilities that are maligned and mocked or whatever, like bigotry is negative collectivism. So then I guess to me, the question then is if how much pain and hate and violence 
in the world is because of bigotry? 75%, right? There is jealousy when it comes to, you know, maybe murdering for love or for wealth or whatever, but 75% maybe, I'm just making it up. It could be totally wrong, but a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. To me, a majority of the pain, the violence, the hate that I see in the world comes from bigotry. And yes, I would put nationalism in that box that when you believe your nation is better than every other nation, that is a form of bigotry. It may not be the worst form of bigotry, but it is certainly a form of bigotry. And I think you would be hard pressed to find a nation that has a high sense of nationalism that doesn't also have a high sense of bigotry towards specific other nations, right? So, you know, I think a classic case would be, at least historically, would be like England versus France, right? That that English nationalism creates a high sense of bigotry towards French people and vice versa. America, there's a lot of people bigoted against Americans around the world for different reasons. But the point being is that when you go travel, I, I don't know if I'm the only one who hears it all the time, but when Americans go travel and we're told that that country hates Americans, right? That doesn't feel very good, right? And to be honest, I mean, have you ever been a victim of a collective identification that totally whitewashes you as the individual, right? I don't have to get to know you, Susie or Bob or Tom or Sarah or whoever you are. I just know you as American. I just know you as black, white, boy, girl, Christian, Muslim, whatever. It sucks. It absolutely sucks. And so we know on the receiving, to be on the receiving end of that bigotry, we know that it's not helpful, that it does whitewash the real you, and people don't get to know the real you because they're bigoted assholes. And then we turn around and we go hang out with our collective group at our church and we talk about those non-Christians because we're Christians. Oh, there's a nice collective identification. Oh, you're a non-Christian. You're unsaved. Oh, you're <laughs> you're a Muslim. Oh, you're a terrorist or you're a pedophile or whatever. These nice collective ideas that we get, whether or not, so like pedophiles, that's a collective identity. By all means, that is a collective identity that can be, it's got one of those useful things in the sense that I, <laughs> there's certain collectives you don't want to associate with, not because of bigotry in those super obvious ways, but because of safety, right? But wouldn't you suggest that loving the individual, somebody who is struggling with something as horrific and infuriating, infuriating, as pedophilia, that if you were talking with someone who is genuinely, genuinely trying to change, do you not think it would be helpful to know that person's name, to know that person's heart, to be able to love that person and help them? I don't know. I've never had to deal with people who struggle with something like pedophilia. I, I know for me, it would be difficult, right? Um, I have very low, my, I don't have a real high mercy button 
<laughs> like I have my my intellect kicks in and my understanding of forgiveness and love and the energy of those things. It helps me be more merciful. But on you know the natural side of myself, I'm not the first person. I'm not even the 10th person to sign up to go do prison ministry. Right. But there are people who do. There are people who have a heart to look past the sinner, quote unquote, to look past the evil, quote unquote, to look past the the laws broken and the collective identities of you're a thief, you're a rapist, you're a murderer. These collective identities, we love to shine as like these great examples of the positives of collectivism. But at the same time, now you're missing the individual still. You're whitewashing that individual no different than going to France and being maligned because you're an American. Whitewashes you. You know, I know I know there's people who listen to this podcast who are up to date with the like the pedophile rings going on in our nation right now and in the world right now. I am very up to date, very, very up to date with that stuff. I stay away from conspiracy theories for the most part on this program, but I am very much (laughs) in tune with those things. And so I know how hard it can be to consider loving somebody who has performed such heinous crimes. And at the same time, I have talked multiple times with friends and family. Would you have the ability, if you walked into a room and you saw someone performing uh, an act of sodomy, uh, whether it was rape uh, of somebody the same age or, heaven forbid, some version of pedophilia, whatever, would you be able to draw judgment? If you had, Let's say you had a gun in your hand and you walked in and you had the opportunity to pull the trigger. Would you be able to do that with love in your heart for that person? I believe at this point, I can say genuinely that I would. Would I pull the trigger? You bet your sweet ass I would. I would pull the trigger, absolutely. And I believe I would sleep fine that night. At the same time, would I have a sense of brokenness and sorrow for the person that I just put that judgment on and is now paid the ultimate price? I think I would. I think there's this sense of father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I love them, even though they are literally the embodiment of evil that I'm not, I refuse to just see this collective energy that allows me to whitewash over the individual. And that's where I would say the benefits of collectivism do not outweigh the negatives. I think the negatives are so so glaringly obvious that it becomes the the homework of a an aware individual such as all of those of you who listen to this podcast i know you're the most aware individuals in the world <laughs> i'm sure some of you are very very aware and others are learning how to be anyway being an aware individual understanding just how sly and pervasive and easy it is to fall into this collective energy because it is an energy. And if you could take a moment with me to like consider the energy that I'm talking about, that when you see the individual 
whether they're performing in a crime act or whether they're just shopping at the grocery store or standing on the street corner and proselytizing and passing out tracks. When you see the individual, there is this immediate moment where you draw conclusions. That's just the reality of how we work. That's the reality of living in a world where you have to draw conclusions right away about things, you know, call it the, you know, the law of growth inside of humanity, where we had to learn how to, what was dangerous and what was safe, what was intriguing and what was something we were very familiar with. You know, when you're walking down the street and you see something you've never seen, it catches your attention versus looking at the sidewalk. You've seen a million sidewalks. You don't need to look at another one, right? So your mind and your reticulated activating system, they immediately filter out what's important and they, what's new, what's safe, what's dangerous, all of these things. But in that process, you're also being fed these large carte blanche blanket answers about people and about symbols. And my hope, my hope, my desire for myself for those in my life and for those of you listening to this podcast is that you would begin to find a way to pay better attention to what those filters are and what they're doing. Because in this moment, let's say I'll use an example for myself uh, when I was in college walking down the street. I think I've told it on the podcast before where I was dating a girl at the time who uh, really loved uh, the chicken wings at Hooters. I'd never been to Hooters. I was a good Christian boy. And she actually wanted to go to Hooters for chicken wings. And so uh, it was, <laughs> I remember being so like perplexed on what, I, like, should I say yes or no? Because it's my girlfriend asking me to go. Anyway, that was fun. But uh, we got out of the restaurant and we were walking back to the car. And outside of the restaurant, there was a preacher standing on a milk box or a soap box and uh, holding a sign. He and his family were out about everyone's going to hell and everything like that. So I'm walking down the street and I see these signs and I immediately have the ability to put them in multiple collective groups, right? Obviously, the moment I see something about the Bible, oh, Christian, the moment I see a particular dress or hair length, oh, uh, United Pentecostal. The moment I see certain, um, you know, their skin color, their sex, and everything like that. So I can immediately draw this whole list of conclusions about this person. Many of them are true. Many of them are absolutely true. But what happens right behind that moment, and this is where you need to start paying attention, what happens right behind the moment where your brain draws in these collective identities is that most of us, most of the time, then allow that assessment to become the full assessment of that person. We take that assessment, we take those identities, okay, this is a white Christian male, Pentecostal, you know, uh, he was yelling. So immediately I'm thinking he's, he's got an anger problem. And I can take all of those identifications that my brain has filtered out and given me what's important. And then I can immediately go, I know that guy. 
I know who he is. I know what he's going to give me. I know if I have a conversation with him, what he's going to say. And guess what? Again, much of that might be true. Much of it might be perfectly accurate. But does that mean that it's the entirety of who that person is? No, it doesn't. That was a rhetorical question, but I'll make sure I answer it. No, it doesn't, right? I don't know if that guy likes the same football team I like. I don't know if he likes the same food I like. I don't know if he himself struggles with pornography, and this is actually his really immature attempt at trying to beat his own demons and and so on and so forth. So the ability to see past the collective identity is really the point I want to try to drive home in this podcast, that... There is a collective identity that we, I believe we should be identifying as, and that is human, that we are all humans. And I believe, you know, the world is crying out for unity, crying out for peace, crying out for oneness, while at the same time celebrating this collective group over there, degrading this collective group over there, celebrating this collective group over there. And the ones that are being celebrated are telling the ones that are being degraded that they should be accepted. And we've identified with victimhood now. Victimhood is the highest form of power. So I am part of these five collective groups that are all victims, right? I am a uh, a minority race, let's say, you know, I'm a black homosexual female with a disability and political association. You know, I'm a communist. So therefore... I get the most points because I'm in the most <laughs> the most valuable collective groups that everyone's supposed to feel sorry for. I have the most victim points and therefore because I can draw on the victim points of my race, my gender, my sexual orientation, my political orientation and my disability, everywhere I go people should feel like terrible people because I'm somehow better at being a victim than they are. And I don't know about you, but that kind of energy is not how you create unity. That's not how you create more love. And that sure as heck is not how you create powerful people. And so, yeah, collectivism can be helpful. It can carry truth. But is it worth it? I don't believe it is. I don't believe that we have created a world that is more unified because we've identified the people that are more oppressed. I think we have, in identifying the groups that are more oppressed or the whatever, what we've done is we've created more and more and more division. More us versus them. More good guys versus bad guys. More out versus in. More accepted versus unaccepted. And so... As people who are on this planet to try to improve this situation, I believe perhaps more than understanding spiritual beliefs, perhaps more than understanding relational dynamics, all of those are very useful. I spend most of my episodes talking about those things. There is a social dynamic with collectivism that must be overcome by an honor of the individual. That when I walk by and I see that guy that fits into all of these collective groups, but then I see the individual. I see the guy that, yeah, he is, you know, A, B, C, D, E. But guess what? He's also X, Y, and Z. He also loves the same food I love or 
went to the same school I went to or likes the same football team or PC versus Mac or like different ways to identify with other collective identities that at the same time, now when you drill down into all of the individual collective identities, now they become so nuanced and such a specific set of collective identities that this person belongs to, I'm now starting to see the individual. Individualism at its purest form is the ultimate collectivism because when I am an individual, the only group I have left to belong to is humanity. I am Austin. I'm a human. And if we want unity and we want oneness and we want peace, when your mind does its thing and it hands you the collective labels for people, for the person on the TV screen, for the person on your Facebook feed, for the person at your Thanksgiving family reunion, for the person that you're married to and your kids. When your mind filters out all of those things and gives you the top five bullet points of collective identity, I'm not saying that that's wrong and that you need to fight that and everything. No, that's the way the mind works. That's the way humanity works. It's great. But right behind that moment, when your mind then thinks that it knows everything about that person and that you don't need to know anymore and that you can judge them based on those collective identities. And I'm preaching to myself right now. Liberal progressive ideologies are dangerous and toxic in our world and collectivism is amongst the top but when i look over at conservative libertarian theologies they do much of the same stuff they do much of that same collective identity politics that collective identity uh, philosophy and it just takes a different form but it still carries the same toxicity inside of it it's still adding fuel to the fire of division And I, for one, I want a better way. And yeah, it's been great to have certain identities. And in a way, I'm trying to create an identity with New Age Christianity. Some of you are listening to this like, well, Austin, dude, what are you doing? Like, that's a collective identity. Yes, it is. Inside of it, realizing that there is a positive to collective identities, it can be helpful, but not at the expense of the individual, not at the expense of honoring the individual, that when your collective IDs begin to override your individual uniqueness, that is not helpful. And we've all been on the receiving end of that, where we are judged for a collective group that we belong to. We are judged before we are given an opportunity to say, hey, yeah, I'm a white Christian male, but if you get to know me, one, I believe there's a particular way of being male that doesn't have to be (laughs) toxic. I believe there's a way to be Christian that doesn't have to be religious. And I believe there's certainly a way to be white that doesn't have to be bigoted um, or rich or (laughs) whatever. I don't even, I don't even know where the current, current definitions stand right now. So it sucks when you are put in those groups 
and at the same time, understand how often your brain, your mind is doing that with everything you come across. Every person in the mall, every news story and news anchor, every time they do an interview, your mind is filtering through, sifting through these collective identities, these labels super quickly. And where our immaturities as a human race have come is that we have not learned how to, we've not kept the skill of getting past those biases, getting past those conclusions and realizing that, yeah, this person may absolutely fit what my mind thinks that is, but I'm going to find out for sure. I'm going to look at the individual and I'm going to see if I can find common ground. I'm going to see if I can find something to identify with in a different group of collectives that there's not a single person I've ever met that doesn't have some version of, yes, I belong to this group, but there's some disagreements that I have with the details of it, right? Everyone is nuanced. And uh, that is, to me, the beauty and the honor of looking at the individual above the collective group. So I hope this has helped you kind of take a second look at society as a whole. I hope this has helped you look at how you interact with people and just the, I don't know, the sly, mild ways in which collectivism slips into our interactions and into, and we're playing into an energy that is keeping us divided. And there is a better energy, and that is the energy of the individual, honor of the individual, and that will drive you deeper into understanding everybody you meet. So that to me is the solution. Uh, That collectivism is a lower vibration and it is a lower version of honor. And while it still has some value to play and it still gives us community and stuff like that, I think there's a better way, a larger community, uh, and that is humanity. And that is the oneness of all of us. And so if you are someone who is chasing after oneness, I'm telling you, meditate your butt off on collectivism versus the individual. Understand that in my opinion, the answer is seeing in the individual. And that is the ultimate point of this podcast. I hope you've got some stuff to think about. If you have a, any other points about collectivism that I left out, by all means, jump on the Facebook group and share. We'd love to hear it. For those of you who donate regularly, thank you so, so much. I'm recording this episode during the coronavirus quarantines, working hard at getting the all new websites up and everything like that, getting the spiritual coaching packages on my site, as well as the New Age Christian site as a whole is being revamped. And all of that is made possible by the donations of those of you who do give. And if you have never considered giving, please consider it. That's all I ask is just, just think about it. And, you know, check it out. The uh, donation links are on the website, newagechristianity.org. And uh, we'll be switching over to Anchor to host these podcasts, which I think there should be a donation link in the description of the show as well. So God bless you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you on the next episode.